morning, nearly a good afternoon. Good morning. Um, I trust you've had a good week. How many of you have had a good week? How many of you have had a better week than this week? How many of you have had a worse week than this week? How many of you don't care what week you've had at all? Okay. All right. Some of you, like Edmund was saying, you seem very happy today. Well, let's see if we can make you even more happier. All right. We're going to continue our series on wisdom. I think this is part six. Is it part six? Part six on our series on wisdom. Today we are going to talk on the subject, Christ, the wisdom of God. Continuing to focus on different levels of wisdom, but today we are going to focus on Christ, the wisdom of God. I intend to be teaching this uh, right throughout next month as well as the Holy Spirit empowers, because I think it is important for us to grow in wisdom. Amen. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Now we have defined wisdom as the accurate use of knowledge based on the understanding we have. The accurate use of knowledge based on the understanding we have. And we have said that there are different levels of wisdom. There are different levels of wisdom. There is natural or human wisdom, which is really the knowledge or the, the wisdom that we have as human beings, naturally speaking. And the purpose of natural wisdom is to educate and empower us in how we live our lives. Natural wisdom is from God and is very important. Then we said the next level of wisdom is godly wisdom. Godly wisdom. This is the wisdom we gain from the scriptures. As we learn the scriptures, as we learn about God, as we learn from the word of God, we are empowered in our understanding about God, about the ways of his kingdom, and about life in general. And the purpose of godly wisdom is to empower us in the ways of righteousness and in the ways of God's kingdom. The third level of wisdom is that we talked of us is the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. This is where God opens up our mind in such a way that we know what to do and what to say and how to think in a given context with the information presented to us. Normally, when a person has a spirit of wisdom, they will be a specialist in a specific area of life. A specialist in a specific area in how you are supposed to conduct yourself. So Solomon was given the spirit of wisdom to operate as a king. And uh, you find that Bezalel was given the spirit of wisdom as a, as a craftsman, as a metal worker, as a, as a designer, and so forth. And number four, we said the fourth level of wisdom is the word of wisdom. Word of wisdom as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Word of wisdom. This is uh, the wisdom, word of wisdom is given to us. It's supernatural and it's really a supernatural ability to apply knowledge correctly for the purposes of establishing God's kingdom. And we said that when it comes to the word of wisdom, you cannot manufacture it. 
Unlike the spirit of wisdom where you can develop and grow in the spirit of wisdom, word of wisdom is supernatural in that the Holy Spirit anoints you, gives you a word, you say that word, and it solves a, a riddle, and then that's it. It, uh, it comes upon us as the Holy Spirit desires. And then the final level is Christ, the wisdom of God. Christ, the wisdom of God. This is the highest level of wisdom. This level of wisdom, as we're going to learn, is superior to all other levels of wisdom. All right, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, dispute, the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message pre preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Very, very interesting verse, and we'll unpack it later on. But I want you to make note of a few things. That in summation, in these verses, Paul refers to the message and the gospel, and our Lord, he refers to Christ as the power of God. Christ is the power of God, and he is also the wisdom of God. He said the Jews are religious people. The Jews represent the religious. The Jews require a sign. So religious people want to see evidence or the fact that what you are saying is superior to what they are saying. After all, why should we believe in your Jesus? When I could turn to Muhammad, or I could turn to the um, um, Rastafarianism, or I could turn to uh, Hinduism or other religions, what makes your faith different? The Jews require a sign. So we have to see something supernatural that will authenticate that what you are saying is so. But the Greeks, which represents humanism and the natural way of reasoning, seeks after wisdom. In other words, it has to make sense. It has to be logical. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But then he says, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. The religious think, no, 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 come on. You cannot claim that Christ is the only way. That's bigoted. You can't say that your religion is the only way and everybody else is wrong. Don't care how powerful it is. It's not right. The Jews is a stumbling block and the Greeks is plain foolishness. Doesn't make sense. Your faith doesn't make sense. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, but he says that, well, but as far as God is concerned, Christ is the power of God. He's the solution. And he is the wisdom of God. The accuracy of God. All right, so let's talk about this Christ, the wisdom of God. Now, God's 
ultimate purpose is in Christ. He is the ultimate purpose. Everything that God created, that has been created, and the way life is, it all fits or makes sense in Christ. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 3, he says concerning God the Father and Jesus Christ, he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look here. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, in Christ, there is no other wisdom that surpasses him. And in Christ, there is no other form of knowledge that you can derive outside of him. So you know the song, Jesus is the answer for the world today? If you understood what I am saying, you will know that it's not just a cliche. It is not a cliche at all. Because Christ is in him, as far as God is concerned, are all the treasures. All the treasures. And that was all the wealth that you can derive from wisdom is found in him. All the wealth that you can derive from knowledge is found in him. So therefore, all the scientific knowledge is found in him. Are you listening? All the political solutions are found in him. Any arena of knowledge, you can access it from Christ. Any arena of wisdom, you can access it from Christ. Many people restrict the wisdom of Christ to religious settings and therefore are unable to see the power of God where it really matters. So when we talk about Christ, the wisdom of God, this is really a Christocentric, I'll put it like this, or um, a Christocentric view or approach to life. So when we talk about Christ, the wisdom of God, we're talking about seeing life through the lens of Christ. We're talking about living life through the lens of Christ. We're talking about approaching challenges and problems through the lens of Christ. What is the challenge you face? What is the addiction you face? What is the situation you face? Forget about religious people. I'm telling you that Christ is the solution. He is the solution. When you come to know him, he says, in him is life. And the life was the light, or is the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. When you enter Christ, and his life begins to shape your life, every kind of darkness that is in your life will be overpowered. I have lived with him for 33, 34 plus years, and I know as a testimony that this is so. He has lived in me and I have lived in him in the last 34 and a half years and I know it is so. Hallelujah. You see, Christ, the wisdom of God, is how God himself measures all things. It is the standard he uses and he is the standard he uses. I say it in terms of the wisdom and the anointing of the Christ and I say him in terms of the person is the standard that God uses to reward us, to honor us, 
to bless us. It is by Christ that he will judge the world. Acts 17, 31, you don't have to turn to it. And it is in Christ that all wisdom, all true wisdom, like I said earlier, has its source and its expression. You see, often when people think of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, they think of him as a person that they go to from time to time. But Paul said something in Galatians 2.20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but the Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life that I'm now living in the flesh, I live by faith. So this life is no longer Paul who was once Saul of Tarsus, but is now the Christ who is in Paul of Tarsus. It's the Christ that is living it. He said, I have learned, in one place he said, I have learned to die daily. Say to your neighbor, you have to die every day. Yeah, because the secret is learning to die every day so that every day resurrection life that is in Christ can become every day. This is the wisdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 to 12, he says this. Having made known to us the mystery of his will that is concerning God the Father, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, in other words, when everything has been arranged and summed up, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. What he's saying is this. As far as the Father is concerned, his intention is that everything will one day be summarized in Christ. Everything, both in heaven, both that which is in, are in heaven, those things which are in heaven, and which are on earth in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Beloved, you have an inheritance in Christ. This is yours. It is not, it is not something one day. It, it, it is yours now. I had one preacher saying how he was dealing with the demonic. He entered this room that had been demonized for years. Demonized. All kind of poltergeist things were going on. And when he entered there and he began to pray, he could feel the demons manifest and, you know, the hairs of his, on the back of his hair, head stood up. It's not like my kind of hair. That won't stand up regardless of what's going on. <laughs> it's very strong. <laughs> and, um, and then he thought to himself, man, it must be some big demon in this room here. And then the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 no. If you could see in the spirit world, you are the big honcho, and these demons are little, little tiny imps. But they are good at boasting. They are good at bragging or blagging. They are good at pretending. I mean, you know where black is? Yeah, good. I wasn't sure. You seem very prim and proper. So, so that's why you think that they're big. He said when he realized that, he dealt with them, and from that day, that room was cleansed. What am I trying to say? You have no idea of inheritance in Christ. You have no idea the kind of access you have in your giving context. 
You have no idea. The enemy might be harassing you. The enemy might be bullying you. You might be finding things that are creeping back into your life that shouldn't be there. Let me tell you, you have authority now in Christ. He says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of of his glory. Anyone who first comes into Christ. Now, of course, he was referring to the, the first apostles, but we can apply it today. I was one of the first. My sister was the first to come to Christ. In my family, I was the second to come to Christ. I was one of the first in my family. And because I'm a first-generation believer, I have an extra blessing. Hallelujah. Because so, all the rest of the family that came in, Whatever so they win, whatever they do, some of it will come to my eternal account. Hallelujah. Just for I'll just throw that in. Yeah. So you better know. <laughs> See, God's ultimate purpose, like I said, is that everything is measured with this standard of Christ in mind, which includes the scriptures. In fact, all scripture, every verse of scripture, Every jot and tittle of scripture in some form or another points to our Lord, points to him. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 7, he himself says concerning himself, Then said I, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. In the volume of the book means this. From one end of the scroll to the other end of the scroll, it is written of me concerning Jesus. Everything in there is about him. So when you have a Christocentric approach, a Christ-centered approach to life, and it governs you, then God is automatically committed to you and what you are doing. Now, this wisdom of God is God's mystery to the world. This is the mystery. This is the puzzle that the world cannot fathom. Life doesn't make sense. Things that go on don't seem to make sense. The way things happen, it doesn't make sense. Because it only makes sense in Christ. I will never forget, before I got born again, I knew of, a, I, I had a distinct sense in me that something was missing. Distinct. I could tell as a 16-year-old young man, I knew something was missing in life. I thought, I am sure, in fact, I was convinced. Maybe, you know, I, there's another planet, you know, space, you know. How many of you thought that maybe you come from another galaxy? In fact, one of my friends said to me, Joe, I'm sure you, you're an alien. He actually said it. I mean, he said, look at the way your eyes is. I'm sure you're an alien. I mean, very kind friend. <laughs> he did. He actually said that. More than once, I, I have to say. More than once. <laughs> but this mystery of God is hidden to those who are of this world. And anybody who's of this world, this mystery is hidden to them. When I got born again, what surprised me the most was that sense that that thing was gone. There was no longer that sense something is missing. I looked for it. I actually looked for it. And I thought, ah, that thing is gone. There was this thing in me that was there and was no longer there. One of my greatest passions before I was born again was astronomy. 
I could tell you the largest star, the smallest star, the closest star, the furthest stars, all of that star, star stuff. I was so hungry for that knowledge. When I got born again, it went. That was another shocker. It actually disappeared. I tried to feed it and I wasn't interested anymore. Why? Because that hunger for astronomy was because I was looking for the answer to life. That was my puzzle. I know some of us, it's not astronomy, it's girls, you know. Some, some of us, it's drinking. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, mine was astronomy. Can you believe it? <sighs> anyway, let's move on. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. Talking about the wisdom or this wisdom of God is the great puzzle to the world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. It says, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, which is, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. And then he says, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. What end? To present every human being mature, using all wisdom, because this is the puzzle. Look at the next portion of scripture, just to highlight the points. First Corinthians chapter two, verses six to eight. Look, he says, however we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this world or this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I want you to see what the scripture is saying here. He says there is a wisdom that is superior to all wisdom. And this wisdom was such that God hid it. He hid it throughout the ages. And then began to reveal it to the apostles and prophets. And he said, this wisdom is so powerful that if the rulers of the world knew it, they would not have done what they did to the Lord. Satan would not have permitted it, neither would they themselves have done it. That is how precious it was. And it's so powerful and so important that God the Father hid it. He says, this is what we're talking to you about. We're talking to you about a wisdom that is a mystery. You see, don't cheapen your faith. You have no idea. The superior wisdom God gives you access to. At times when I see how we trade the things of the kingdom that are eternal to temporary, useless things. I think I'm not wasting my life like that. Paul said this, to this end, I also labor, striving. What end? That I will present everyone mature, using all manner of wisdom. 
mature and perfect in Christ. He says, to this end I also labor, striving according to his mighty working, which works in me, his, his, his working, sorry, which works in me mightily. My question to you is this, what are you striving about? What are you striving with? How are you utilizing the wisdom, the superior wisdom God deposited in you from generations gone? How are you using it now in 2016? How are you laboring with that wisdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16, he says this. These things also, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. How? With the wisdom of God. He's able to analyze and accurately discern all things. When you operate by the wisdom of Christ, it gives you an advantage over other situations. When you look at life through the lens of Christ, it gives you a superior advantage. He says this, judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. So when you have a spiritual person, they will be able to accurately assess every situation that comes their way, but others cannot assess them accurately unless they are operating by that same wisdom. That's why Paul said one thing. From this time, we don't know anyone according to the flesh. Henceforth, no, we know man according to the flesh. Even when it comes to our Lord, they don't, we don't know him according to the flesh. Are you still here? Verse 15. But he who is spiritual judges all things. He himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Therefore, we can instruct him. We can't say, Father, can you do this? Father, can you do that? Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. Who, has no, who, who, who can tell God what to do? No one except you have his mind. This is the superior level of Christ, the wisdom of God. This is the inheritance that all of us have access to. This is, this is why it is important for you to operate from this level. Now, let me say something because of time. Solomon, in all his wisdom, failed miserably because he did not operate from this level. You say, oh, but Christ is New Testament. No, no, no. Christ has always been. Remember when they were going through the, the desert and uh, Moses hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock? And what did, what did Paul say? That rock was Christ. What did he say when they were in the desert in Hebrews 2? That gospel that was preached to them, preached to us, was also preached to them. The gospel was preached to them in the wilderness. But they did not mix it with faith and therefore didn't profit them. So the same message of the kingdom they were hearing under the Old Testament. The point I want to make is, is this. Solomon had the spirit of wisdom. He had godly wisdom. He had natural wisdom. Like I said um, in the beginning of our teaching, he could memorize 3,000 verses. How many of you memorized? 3,000, and recite them all. 3,000, can you imagine? Without checking his iPad. 3,000. 
He was so powerful that when he would speak, people would travel just to come and hear him. We're struggling to get people to fill this room. That's how powerful his wisdom was. Yet, Solomon, because he was not rooted in the fear of the Lord, he could not access Christ, the wisdom of God. And ultimately, with all his wisdom, he couldn't follow through on his basic instruction. So, therefore, you can have natural wisdom. You can have godly wisdom. You can be full of the spirit of wisdom. You can have the, the word of wisdom operating through you from time to time and bamboozle all of us. But if your wisdom is not rooted in Christ, your wisdom can be futile. And again, I see this. 34 years is a long time. You get the opportunity to see many things in the church. I see this. You see, the purpose of this kind of wisdom is to enable salvation. Let me explain by that. Salvation is wholeness, where our spirit, soul, and body are in accurate sync with God. And also, empower us to fulfill God's purpose for our lives without compromising on his word in the process. So this kind of wisdom will allow you not to miss the will of God in any key area of your life when you operate by it because you operate with the mind of Christ. Are you still here? It is governed by the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. This kind of wisdom is governed by the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but Christ, the wisdom of God, is the ultimate of wisdom. There is no level beyond that. Look at this. Solomon, like I said, he was such a wise man. Yet... Because he was not rooted in the fear of the Lord, his heart turned away. In 1 Kings 11 verse 4, it says this. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives, that in itself is a clue, his, w- <laughs> his wives, nothing wrong with a wife, but wives, Nothing wrong with a husband, but husbands, because we have to be PC here. Turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Now, this is interesting. David's heart was loyal. Do you know why? Even in spite of all his mishaps? Because it was rooted in the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But it will protect you from turning away from the Lord. Now, the thing about this wisdom is this. It doesn't guarantee riches. You will fulfill your destiny. It doesn't mean you'll be wealthy. Now, you can have the spirit of wisdom, and by the spirit of wisdom, you make a lot of money and still burn in the lake. But wouldn't it be better to make the money and also please the Lord in the process? (laughs) Hallelujah. My time is almost up. I want you to see something that Solomon did. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 10, and also 16, 
Solomon is teaching about wisdom. And look at what he says in verse 10. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, verse 16, it will deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Now, I want you to also look at something in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 26. I just want to show you why this kind of wisdom I'm talking about is so important. Nehemiah 13, verse 26. It says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him to sin. Now that word pagan woman in the King James says outlandish women. But what you have to understand is that word seductress that he's telling us in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, that wisdom will deliver you from the moral woman or the strange woman, and from the seductress is the outlandish woman. It's the same woman. So same woman that he's telling you when wisdom enters your heart and does all these things, it will protect you from where the same women who turned his heart. Why? Because he didn't have the fear of the Lord and because he wasn't governed by the superior wisdom of Christ. The point I'm making and I'm emphasizing is this. Unless you allow Christ to govern how you think, how you behave, what's going on in your heart, no matter the level of wisdom you operate on, you are vulnerable to the enemy. Now, this kind of wisdom cannot be received by those under the world system. And here's the point. Any person that is governed by the world system, I say person, I'm talking about especially believers. Because again, I see many believers, many, not few, many. And don't come after us and ask me, am I one of them? Many. Their paradigm is more governed by the world system than by Christ. And I'll conclude with this. What is the world system? 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world. All the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So anything that is lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life is the world. Now, what are these things? Well, the lust of the flesh is simply desires or the, 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 the desire or the craving for sensual gratification. Can you take that noise off there, please? Um, they can play, but not with noisy things. Thank you. Bless you. Any craving for sensual gratification is the last of the flesh. So any sensual desire that comes that is outside of the will of God is the last of the flesh. It includes sexual appetites outside of God's boundaries. It includes, includes natural appetites outside of God's boundaries. And any desires of our senses that's outside of the will of God. What are the last of the eyes? It refers to the desires or the longings of our mind. The things that in our mind we want, our vision, our, our ambition, our desire to possess things, to buy things. The things that appeals to our mind regardless of the will of God is the lust of the eyes. And what is the pride of life? It refers to the assurance we have in our achievements and in the stability of earthly things. 
our reliance on how things are and what we are able to do with our lives. It includes the pride that comes from our wealth, the pride that comes from the resources at our disposal. How big is your church? How big is your bank account? How big is your big? Whatever. You know, we like to boast about, this is my house. You know, you know believers, you, you go to your house and say, come into my humble abode. And there's nothing humble about the thing. There's nothing humble. They say, come into my proud house. Yeah. Oh, this is a pastor. This is a humble car. This car is not humble. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we do it. But here's the thing. Christ, the wisdom of God, cannot be received by those governed by the world because to the world, that wisdom is rubbish. Why? Because it takes on the opposite of what we've just said. So instead of the lust of the flesh, Christ, the wisdom of God, says it embraces self-denial, which means it rejects the lust of the flesh or refuses to live by the dictates of its fallen nature. It refuses to live its life by the dictates of the fallen nature. Secondly, Christ, the wisdom of God, embraces self-sacrifice. What does that mean? It rejects the lust of the eyes, which means it is willing to give up what the natural man wants to pursue. Paul said it like this. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. There are many things. You see, at times, us preachers, we're joking. There are many things we can do. doesn't mean we should do. There are rights that I have as a pastor that I never exercise because there is a higher price. That's it. It's not that it's wrong. It's just that there is a choice you have to be willing to make if you want to embrace the wisdom of Christ. And thirdly, and I'll close with this. Instead of the pride of life, this wisdom embraces shame and disgrace that comes with identifying with Christ. <laughs> shame and disgrace that comes with identifying with Christ. This is the wisdom. This is why it's such a mystery. This is why it's foolishness to the world. Now, now when the last time you saw an advert to come, come to my church and experience shame and disgrace as you identify with our master? No. Come to Christ and you will do well with your life. Everything will be sorted. Your marriage will be sorted. Your health will be sorted. Your money, your pocketbook, everything. Come to Christ. Come to my church. We have the solution. This is the way it's supposed to go. But that is the wisdom of this world, beloved. I'm telling you. You're not shouting me down just because I'm preaching so good. I am going to conclude. <laughs> you see, whilst this kind of wisdom enables you to fulfill God's destiny for your life, it will not empower you necessarily to be wealthy. <laughs> Somebody said, I'm in the wrong church. What do you mean? <laughs> well, let me show you, and then we'll conclude. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. It says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you listening? Wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, 
He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now, just in case you didn't understand verse 5, let me read it again in another translation. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. They have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way of becoming wealthy. To them, a show of godliness is just a way of becoming wealthy. In case you didn't get that version, let me read another version. In constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth, who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. So it's, it's, we're getting clear now. It's about money. They think that by coming to church, you're going to make money. You're going to make money. Are you listening to me? Yeah. Hey! Let me just read one more version just so that we're clear. So we're clear. So that was the New Living Translation and then the New International Version. I'll read the Amplified Version now. It says, And perpetual friction between men who are corrupted in mind and deprived of the truth, who think that godliness is a source of profit, a lucrative money-making business. Withdraw from them. Hey! I wonder how many churches will be emptied if believers read that and obeyed it. I'm telling you, Christ, the wisdom of God, is superior, but it's costly. It will help you, it will empower you to fulfill your destiny, but your destiny might mean shame and disgrace as you stand alone and tell the rest of the world that they're living in sin because marriage is between a man and a woman. As you stand alone and tell the world that they're living in sin because it is right to discipline your children a certain way. Okay, you get nervous now. I said a certain way. So you can't, you can't unless you listen to some of my old, old tapes, you can't, you, can't, you can't say anything. I said a certain way. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're going to take communion at this time. If they, um, who's in communion? Oh, you are. I'll do it. 